Hey everyone, this is Chris with the Black Filmmaker Guide Podcast. Um, this is a, a really cool new experience for me because this is my uh, very first podcast. And so the very so the goal of this podcast was going to be to try to teach and help out as many uh, black filmmakers as possible. Anybody who's listening to filmmaking, help as many people out as possible by conducting interviews with industry type people and people with you know people in the industry and just conduct interviews and you know learn what they do how they do it and just learn about people's journey as filmmakers and just ask you know you know just ask what they what they've learned in the industry and you know just ask get their perspective on the state you know of filmmaking you know when it comes to black filmmakers um that's going to be the format of this show and you know I've, i've taken i'm taking a format from someone else who um when I learned a lot about the industry, I, I, I found a podcast that all they did was just do interviews of people in the industry. And it was probably one of the most valuable things I've ever listened to in my life. And I I was just I constantly took notes and notes and notes and learned so much about the um, industry just from that. So my goal and my uh, the way this podcast is going to be structured is basically going to be the same way. I'm just going to try to find as many people as possible and and bring on to help you know other filmmakers and just you know conduct interviews and teach as many people as possible and and i'm a student as well so i'm going to be learning as much as possible as well you know uh, i have this i have such a curious mind i have so many questions to ask people whether it's you know whether it's on a business level distribution level marketing um, technical level you name it you know um, on a talent level, uh, I'm, I'm interested in all of it. And my goal is just to interview as many people as possible and ask them questions and, ho- you know, in turn, hopefully, you know, you know, helping you and hopefully in turn helping myself and uh, just try to learn as much as possible. It's uh, an awesome. Uh, this is an awesome, you know, venture for me. I'm very excited. This is new. You know, if, if you were to ask me a year ago, if I'd be you know, having a podcast and have my own YouTube channel and be on social media the way I am, I would tell you that you were crazy. But, you know, here I am. And it's a very exciting thing, you know, that I've finally taken the leap and have have um, have done this. So this is a very exciting new journey for me. And uh, hopefully it'll be beneficial for you guys as well. And um, and um, just for everyone trying to learn about filmmaking. So. We have a cool guest today. Um, I found this person on Facebook, actually. Um, I just, you know, I, respond, I was asking questions in the Facebook groups that I follow. And this person responded to one of my questions. And some just led me to, you know, follow up and, you know, ask a question. Um, I don't know if I asked her what she needed or something like that. But we ended up, you know, speaking privately in a messenger and it turns out she is uh she runs a film festival in Louisiana called the Cane River Film Festival and uh I hit her up and we um started talking and she gave me a whole background she's been in the movie industry for quite a while so she's been doing extra doing work as an extra she's done been on many film sets knows quite a few people in the industry and she has quite an amazing story of her you know time in the industry and now running the film festival so um i'm going to be speaking with her today and just learning about you know how she got started and and everything that she's doing all right so without further ado uh, this is going to be kelly jackson from the cane river film festival 
All right, Kelly Jackson, how you doing? Welcome to the uh, Black Filmmaker Guide. Well, thank you, and I'm so excited to be a part of it. Thank you, Christopher. So this is uh, kind of special. This is my uh, first po um, podcast, and you're the first interviewer. So how does that feel? Fantastic and special. Awesome. So the goal of the, the mm -hmm. podcast is basically just to uh, you know interview people um, within the industry, um, black filmmakers, and just try to learn as much as possible um, for the listeners um, just give as much dispel as much information as possible for them to um, you know in case they wanted to you know do what you want to do or do what you're doing basically and uh, just le learn as much as possible if um, if they can you know what I mean absolutely all right each so, one teach one absolutely absolutely so you've been in the um, You've been in the entertainment industry for quite a while. You say you're from L.A. from our uh, previous conversation. So can you uh, tell me about that and just kind of how you got started in the industry? Sure. When I was like, okay, I'm 53 now. I'm going to give my age away. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, when I was in my 20s, like the beginning of it, I was I lived in Long Beach and I was on the beach. I loved to be at the beach. And they had a movie that came to the beach and was like, hey, we want extras. And we'll pay you guys like 40 bucks in cash if you just hang out. And I'm like, well, I'm already here, so why not? You know, get paid to hang out where I'm already at. Definitely. And that that caught me right there. Like, I was hooked in sync because I was like, I just got $40 for just kicking it at the beach where I normally go to on a regular basis for free. I, I want to do this job, and they gave me lunch and everything, so I didn't have to pay for that. So I was like, how do I do more of this as a job? Right. Because all the other jobs to me kind of, I didn't like them. And I went through a lot of jobs through my life, you know. It just was, like, boring. It wasn't, you know, it didn't give me the feeling of excitement or, you know. Definitely. So I was like, I really like this. So I started, that's, that's how I got started in the industry was doing extra work. Do you know what movie it was for, or? I don't remember that particular one, but I do remember the next one was The Last Boy Scout. Really? Okay. And it was like two weeks, and we were at the, I think, yeah, we were at the L.A. Coliseum, and it was outdoors, and it was at nighttime, so it was really cold, but it was just, you know, we had to fill up the Coliseum, and there so many people, and Damon Wayans was there, and the bands. And, you know, Bruce Willis was in it, and Tony Scott, rest in peace, he was the director. Yeah, I remember that movie. And, yeah, it was like, it was just, like, really cool. Like, you know, that's like when um, Living Color came out. Yes. Right around that time. So you're like, oh, that's David Wayans. So the thing was, it's like, I was just the person that was in the stands at first. Mm -hmm. This is when it all sort of changing for me, Christopher, because I was just a part of that group that was in the stands at class. Right. But I saw other people down on the field, right? They were the football players, they were the cheerleaders, they were the coaches, or they were whatever, something like that. And they got the better dinner. Okay, we got a, like a bag dinner with a <laughs> bologna sandwich and stuff right. and an apple and some nuts. Right. They got like a hot plate. And so I started trying to make friends 
so you can so you can get the hot low. plate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So like, how do I get that dinner? How do I get that dinner for design? You know, I'm cold. That's funny. I, I want to be on y'all side. Definitely. So I started making friends, and that's where my life has changed right then and there because I I learned how to start making friends in what I call high places, so that you can get a better benefit out of being a part of the industry. So that's what I became. I just started. I um I got out of the stands. And I became one of the reporters, so they gave me a camera for, as a prop. Really? And um, yeah, and then I met Tony Scott because I was just kind of like in my own little world and dancing or whatever, making friends. And people are like, "Man, Kelly's really cool. She's a really good person." Kelly, 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 and they got all the way to Tony Scott, and so he he got somebody to come and get me. Like, and he brought me over to him, and he's like, "I need to know who this Kelly is because everybody's talking about you." Wow. And I was like, "Really?" And that's how I met Damon Wayans, and then Casey, who's still my friend today. You can go on my Facebook. Um, that's his cousin. He came from New York, and he was on like the the Living Color, and he was the DJ at the top. Really? Yeah, and Casey. So all the way, I was on the Wayans Brothers, and I know Damon and everybody at Suns, like everybody. I was on that show for about a year or so. You know, when they, later on in life, you know, we got all reconnected again. I was like, hey, remember me from, you know, the last Boy Scout? <laughs> wow. I mean, for it's the, a small, big world, man. For the listeners who don't know that movie, I just did my research. That movie came out in 91. So some of the. Yeah. So that was mm-hmm. some of the listeners probably weren't even born then. Some probably remember that movie. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely remember the last Boy Scouts. I remember seeing uh, the previews on like pay per view or something like that. So, yeah. So let me ask you, so, I mean, most people probably aren't um, in Hollywood, so we have people scattered all over the place. So in terms of um, just film set etiquette and when you're on the film set and like being able to take advantage of opportunities um, when you're there and learning stuff and networking, can you tell me a little bit more about that? Absolutely. That is the most important thing. I was just thinking about that the other day. And I was was thinking about it in, like, my hits and my misses. Mm -hmm. Because I was, like, I recall the point where, I don't know, I was just set on the commercial, and I was, like, totally staring at the director. And I I noticed, like, he was, like, why is that extra staring at me? You know, like, (laughs) get rid of her, you know? And I'm, like, oh, I think he's talking about me. But that was kind of my my M.O. at a moment. You know, it's, like, I would just stare at them, like, because if... And it wasn't to stare at you. It was, like... It was to, because if it's the director, they're the ones that's giving the orders, okay? Right, right. And they're the ones calling the shot. They're the shot caller. Absolutely. So you want to make sure that you're always in his eye line or you can see what he's, what he's talking about because that's that instant where you can be upgraded because he can be talking to his um, PA or assistant director and go, man, I really need another person to you know, carry this tray in here. And you're like, as soon as he looks up, he sees you looking at him like, you know, what about her? Right. So I just started like, you know, always like, I didn't care about, like, it's cool to know the other extras and all the other people, security and everybody. And I made great friends with every level of people. Gotcha. But to me, the highest level was like, you need to know, like if you're in the set of commercial, you should be knowing who's the client. You know, like if you're in craft services or going to the table to get something to eat and, you know, like say, for instance, when I've worked with the director of Lord of the Rings, right. he's very simple. 
Peter Jackson. He just wears a, uh, I can't remember his name, but he looks like he's in Lord of the Rings. Yeah. But he just would wear like a white long sleeve shirt, some black jeans, and some tennis shoes all the time. Right, right, It was right. very low key. You would never, and that's the thing, Christopher, you, you can never know who somebody is. So it's always best on etiquette to treat everybody respectfully because you don't know who you're talking to. That's very true. And you might be talking to that person's child and they turn out to be the star's child. And now you are fired because you treated them wrong. Or you you drove in in the parking lot all fast and cut them off and then you turn out to be the director and you're fired. You know, it's like, so you don't know who the person is around you. So stop stop playing like, oh, who is, uh, you know what I mean? Having an attitude. Don't bring it to the set. Don't bring it any attitudes. No, that's true. They say, uh, be careful, you know, who's, uh, they say, careful whose foot you step on on your way up because they'll be the same people you, you know, butts you got to kiss on your way down. You know what I mean? And that goes for extras, too, because now I'm doing my own film festival mm-hmm. and I still have friends that do extra work. And I left California to come to Louisiana, and I'm doing a whole nother level of things. So I would always say, like, I've, I've worked with Robert Townsend, Damon Williams. I'm like, Tisha, I mean, so many I could go down the list, you know what I'm saying? But when I met, I remember when I met um, Robert Townsend on the, the Little Richard story. Mm-hmm. And um, I was like, oh, hey, Robert, uh, you know, you need to, uh, you want to get my autograph? <laughs> right, right. And I was just teasing with him, you know. And he's like, and I was like, you know, I'm just taking names and numbers along the way. But I'm not extra. I'm extra special. <laughs> and that's what I always would tell the people on the set. And that was my frame of mind because I knew that there was people that just wanted to be an extra. Right. And that's all they were probably going to be. And that's fine. But I was extra special. Right, right. I gave myself that title because I knew that this was just a stepping stone. This was just an opportunity to be on different sets, whether they be movies, television, or commercials, because I've done them all. So I've met people in all area. So that first interaction with you during The Last Boy Scout led you to other projects as well? Oh, absolutely. I, I, that was my moment. From the beach, then I did two weeks of the last Boy Scout, and it was a wrap. I was doing that for the rest of my life. That wow. was I like I dropped out of college. Wow! I mean, I was trying to still go to junior college, and I still have like I think like four credits to finish. Right, right, right. <laughs> Something crazy like that, and still won't finish it. But I just like I just loved it. I loved like being around all the people. I loved the cameras. I was like that as a child. I loved the camera in my face. But when I got on the set, it was just like, I don't know, so invigorating, like different people. You're always going to be in a different place with different people around you, different set, um, you know, new environments and people to meet. And it's just, you know, every day is never the same. No, definitely. So I love it because it got me out of that monotony of like working every day for somebody and you just always going to do the same thing, go to the same locker, get the same cup of coffee, get the same, same, same. And this was never the same again for my life. It was a total adventure. That's awesome. I know there's, I know there's a, mm-hmm. speaking to the, uh, the etiquette on set, I know there's a balance to that. I remember when I was at a, in college at UCF, they had a film crew come out because they were recording like, um, it was like a, a how to, you know, be a referee kind of thing. And I remember the director, he was kind of set off to the side and I was so curious about the little, 
you know, the, the monitors they were looking at and all the switchboards and everything. And I remember, mm-hmm. and I was just there as a photographer and I remember peeking over there and he kind of gave me this look like, what are you doing? You know what I mean? Because I was so curious, but I know there's a, a balance to, you know, you know, being, there's a balance to networking, but also not overstepping your boundaries because at the end of the day, there is a job to do and you don't want to, you know, be an interference yeah. to everyone. Yeah, that's crazy. I remember um, working with my brother. He was the set designer and I was his assistant for this movie. Hmm. And I just gave him, I was like, you know, it was like this parachute thing came down and it was supposed to float and there was no wind, you know, at the beach. And I was like, well, hey, if you get up high and you kind of throw it down, it was like, it would float back down. And my brother gave me this look like, if you don't shut the hell up, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I was like, because he's like, there is a criteria, like the director, yeah. he's going to make the decision what right. he wants to do. You don't need your set design. You don't start bringing your ideas up in right. here, you know. Right, absolutely. So I was like, wow. And then there's been times where I was, remember I was on like ER and it was like George Clooney and all those guys. Oh, you were on ER? I love that show. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. And wow. I love George Clooney. You know, he was my favorite. Yes. He talked to me, and I was like, oh, my God, George Clooney is all hollering at me. That's awesome. But anyway, um, the, there was this, like, Indian guy that was um, from, straight from India that was the director. He was so mean. Really? <laughs> like, if anybody remembers being on that show, they're going to know that that guy was super mean. Right. And I remember I was on, like, they went back to one, meaning like reset, right. you know, wherever you was, reset it. And he's like, didn't you, did you hear us say back to one? Right. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I didn't know. He's like, why are you opening your mouth and saying anything? Right. And that's when I started learning, like, sometimes you have to have a big dose of shut the hell up <laughs> because um, they're not, you're not, you're not at their level. Yes. And it was like, that, that. that's not with everybody, though, you know, but there are really super mean directors. Politics, yeah. And then there are super cool directors that just like, hey, it's all good. You know, they know their job when they come in. They've done their marks. You know, they have their business. And some of them get, like, really mean towards you. And that, I guess that was a part where I was like, I don't want to do this anymore as far right. as extra work is concerned. Right. I'm a grown woman and people are treating me disrespectfully because they feel like I'm on the last totem pole of the levels right. of this business. Right. And that's why I used to tell everybody and check them back and tell them I'm extra special. Ain't nobody extra over here. Come on, extras, come on. Right. I'm like, oh, excuse me, I'm extra special. Thank you. I will proceed now. <laughs> well, that's unfortunate. Just, that was for me. That was for me. That's unfortunate that um that director did that. I mean, honestly, you know, it doesn't take much effort to be nice to people. And, you know, I don't know what that director's doing now, but... Neither do I. But he, but he was doing ER, though. You know what I'm saying? They yeah. get paid. So it doesn't... Everybody else doesn't matter. Everybody else doesn't matter anymore. Like Jennifer Lewis. Yeah. She used to be... When I used to be on... um. What was that medical show Jennifer Lewis was on? I was like, um, I don't know. I can't remember it. Like Strong Medicine was it Strong Medicine? I don't know. I, don't I think know. it was called Strong Medicine. Anyway, she was like a receptionist. Okay. In the in the main area, and so I was one of the nurses. You know, I was a regular. I've, I've been a regular on a lot of shows and TV shows. Okay. That lady is crazy. Yes, you know? she is. And yes, she, she is. was just oh my god. 
Jennifer Lewis is super crazy. Yes, yes. And she would just start cussing at us and stuff. Mm -hmm. I remember one time she came and put both her hands on my shoulder and was like, look, I can't. You guys are making too much noise. And I was like, I'm looking all over the place because I can't check her. Right, no, no, you can't. You know, because I'm going to get fired. And, I, I, you know, I was on Girlfriends. I used to be a regular on Girlfriends. And with um, Tracy Ross, I remember I was standing outside dealing with the wardrobe person. I was a regular at the restaurant. They had like a bar restaurant. Yeah. And I said, I get my little tie and my little bib and my little apron, some wardrobe. Well, the wardrobe girl started going off on me outside in front of Dwayne Martin and, and, and Tracy Ross. I mean, so humiliating, right. embarrassing. I mean... All I could say to her was like, you know what? You need to just stop talking to me right now. Like, because, you know, I was getting ready to go there back with her. But I knew if I went there with her, I was going to definitely get fired. Wow. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, let's shut this down right now. And so I went I went in the, that's when they had pay phones still. Mm -hmm. And um, I went in the pay phone pretending to make a phone call. and was just straight up crying. Like, I was just so humiliated. Why do you think she... Why not you like that? Because um, people, I always made up this little thing called PPP, piddly power people. Sometimes people are just little piddly with their power, you uh, know, because they right. don't really have any. Gotcha. And okay. so I called them P, and I was like, uh oh, you know, and that's why I made a little name for them. I was like, oh, PPP, here we go. You know, they're piddly power people. I got piddly power she does, people. She's a wardrobe, and she's above the extras. Gotcha. So, therefore, in her mind, she can look up on me anytime. So, I told my AD what happened, and that I was never brought back again. You really? Know, to, and I was a regular on Girlfriends. But, you know, some of the girlfriends were also kind of like jealousy type of female really? people. And they like, you know, because if you're cute, and now you're starting to get you're a regular on the show as the same as they are, but right. you don't really have any words to right, say. Right. You start becoming a threat because any moment now you're making relationships with the director and the producers, any moment they can give you some lines and you'll be right up in there with them. You know what I'm saying? So it was always, there's a balance. It's crazy how much politics, how much politics were on set and you know, like he's a power. Yeah, they want to keep you because I was like, um, I used to stand in for Stacey ja Dash on um, Clueless. Yeah, okay. Um, for about a year or more, and Stacey wasn't really trying to have anybody. You know, like I remember I was doing her lines one day with Donald Faison. Uh oh. Uh, and and um, Donald was cool. I mean, it was a cool set to be on. Right. Me and Stacey, we weren't all that close, but. You know, because she, you know, she wanted to keep that hierarchy going on. Of and I'm course. like, I'm with everybody. I'm equal. Right. And uh, I noticed that when I was doing her lines and stuff, they were like, don't act. Wow. Just just read it. Interesting. You know, <laughs> you know that, that would always happen. I was on Dina Davis' show, my wife and kids, you know, everything. They were like, don't act. Stop acting. Just read it. You know, because... They don't want you trying to position yourself to seem like you're one of the stars or you want to try and start coming up in the show and getting, you know, becoming one of the, one of the characters. So listen to your story. I mean, once you basically get in that network, you're basically, they just basically uh, shift you around to different positions doing this and that at different shows and different shows because I guess you're reliable and stuff like Yeah, because the, the company will, the, the company will start, you know, we have like 
you know, um, central casting is yes. known all over the world. Yes. And I was with it. central casting first as a non-union actor, and then I became a union actor. And I was like, like I said, eating bologna sandwiches to steaks. Right. So I was like, I wanted to get on the side of the steaks. So, yeah, you could basically make a living just being an extra, huh? Oh, yeah. We made, like, you know, I started at, like, $40 a day, and then next thing you know, I'm making $300 a day. And a I, $300 a day? A day. Wow. And if I'm on the weekend, I made that double. That's crazy. But you're not there every day, it was though. great. Well, you don't work every day, but you can. You know, I was with about three different agencies, so they call you and See if you're, you know, I like that part. Are you available to work tomorrow? Sure <laughs> I am. You know, right. but you have the choice. It's not like you have this set schedule. Did you have a steady job then, too? No. Okay, so that, that, that was your job. From the moment that I got that on that beach, that was my life. That was it. I quit. Everything. I just stopped working for other people. That's awesome. So let me ask you this. So when was the last time you actually, when you left Hollywood in, what, 2011, right? I, I probably about 2010 came out to Louisiana. Okay, so just looking at the industry, I don't know if you still pay attention to like Hollywood and how things have changed. How, how do you feel things have changed since you got back in way back in 91 in terms of, you know, black films and opportunities and things like that? The way I see things have changed is that it's gotten smaller, you know, because when I, when I started in junior, you know, I went to junior college Long Beach. Long Beach City College, woo woo. <laughs> right. Um, I studied broadcasting, and I had a little show that I I made up, Kelly's Corner, okay. which I would interview. You know, this was like around the time when Living Color came out, mm-hmm. so they didn't really have like talk shows then. So I was like, I had my own little theme song, and I was going around the campus, and then I went outside the campus. So, you know, that was when they had beta cams, and those things were gigantic, and the, <laughs> the deck of the tape was, like, huge. It was right, way, right, you know, right. this is bigger than the VHS. And, and, like, the equipment was gigantic. So my friend Robert Moore, he's still my friend to this day, right. he was the biggest guy in the class. And I was like, you'll be my team. <laughs> right, right. I'm not carrying this stuff. So I was the producer and all of that, and he would be the camera operator. And to this day, we're still that way. Awesome. And this is, this is before YouTube and everything, huh? Yeah, then it went to VHS, and then it went to, like, um, the you know, it went to um, 8 millimeter, mm-hmm. and then it went to the little disc. So right. that's what I mean. Like, I saw that transformation in, in just the technology. Right, right. And that, you know, it became more portable. Gotcha. You know, now today we have a damn, you know, excuse me, we have a phone, you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. people can, like, walk around with their little cell phones. We didn't Absolutely. have that back in the day. Absolutely. So I watched that part of the transformation so that way, you know, at first it was like major big studios and now you can do it out of your own apartment, you know, just with a computer and a laptop and, you know, whatever and a phone. Yeah, opportunities to really uh, open up for a lot of people. Yeah, and and, and that's when I started, you know, getting with my friends. Like, we can do this, you know. Like, at first me and Robert, we would just check the equipment out from from our it was called Information Entertainment News was mm-hmm. our broadcasting class at Longby City College. That's where we started. And we would check the equipment out, and then that's when they started doing public access channels. Okay. And all that was free. And so you could go in and have, like, a real studio, and then so you could make your own little show. And so I made my own show called Kelly's Corner, 
And then I would just use their equipment, or you can do it in studio or out of studio. I was more out of the studio person, and I was just doing, you know, shows about whatever I felt like. And I was doing concerts and covering like Ziggy Marley on the concert. So I was like, oh, press pass, (laughs) you know, and I'm calling up all the places. I'm like, I'm the press, some information entertainment news, and I need two passes. So I'm getting in everywhere, me and Robert, you know, and he's like, (laughs) he's having a good time backstage. So we learned a, a long time ago, that's all you have to do. You can get a press pass to get in anywhere. Gotcha, gotcha. If you're depressed. So we started doing it like that. And so that's how I started my network of friends. So I started getting in, covering what they were doing, so that I became um, more acquainted with them. So and then I had the equipment. So the next time they have a gig or whatever, they're going to call me and Robert. They're like, can you guys cover this, you know, for your show, whatever? I was like, okay. That's awesome. So as time went on, you know, you started like, you know, like I said, we're doing the extra work. And then plus I was doing my own show. Then I started like going to Soul Train Awards. And that's how I met Met Condition and, um, you know, Baby Face. And just, you know, now I started like talking to people as yet, you know, or like all these kind of new groups coming up through Baby Face. And, you know, and I would like be a seat filler for the Soul Train Awards. And so I got to sit in the front because we were a seat filler. Yeah. You see what I mean? You you learn how to find a way to be able to get around the real people. I Even though definitely. they don't think that you're one of them, they don't know the difference because gotcha. I'm dressed up just like you are, but I'm in the front row and I'm sitting next to Tony Braxton right now or Vanessa Williams. I understand. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you, so if someone wanted to... Because did, let me ask, did you have any uh, like actual speaking parts and things like that and... I did, you know, I've had them off and on throughout the years, not a lot, right? but I remember the, the one thing, it wasn't a speaking part, but it was like full screen was, um, Dr. Doolittle, the first one. And I hadn't even seen the movie yet, you know, cause I did these special inserts after the movie was already made what movie and they was just thought some other stuff they wanted to do the dr doolittle the dr. first Dillon. one okay 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 yeah with eddie murphy gotcha, gotcha. and um it was a woman director she was kind of mean too she was crazy right anyway uh my grandma my mom and them they went to see the movie and they came in the house and like oh my god you're dr doolittle you were <laughs> as big as the whole screen from the top to the bottom and we didn't know that's cool and, you know and i was like wow that was so cool so it was just really cool that my grandma got to see me like that you know, on awesome. the big screen no definitely that's awesome it was it was you know and i was in star trek insurrection and i was flying the duck line and you know they started the whole movie with me and that's star trek nine they started it with me flying the ship and I, that was pretty cool too so you know seinfeld i did a little thing you know just like little things here and there but you're on seinfeld you're in star trek you know what i mean you're in Doctor Doolittle. It doesn't matter. Small parts are not small parts; they're big parts. Gotcha. Because gotcha. you're in big movies. So let me ask you: What advice would you give someone who wants to get into the industry? I mean, a lot of people 
feel is very difficult and they you know they say it's the industry of just constantly being rejected and hearing no's but from hearing your perspective i mean it seems like a lot of people are trying to be at the you know denzel level and the, you know the carry watch they want to be like the big big stars but from here listen mm-hmm. to you there's so many different opportunities just as act, mm-hmm. being an actor that you can get into and start out that where you don't even have to hear no's you can just get yourself on a film set and work yourself from the ground up absolutely and i mean it just has to you know i just have to take myself back to that beach day it has to be something that you just really love want to do it you know I mean, I didn't really do that well at college. It was great, but that wasn't where I was at. And it wasn't, I wasn't going to go to a university. That's messed up. That wasn't what I wanted to do. I didn't want to be a lawyer or a doctor or any of that kind of stuff. Gotcha. But the, but the acting bug, just being on the set, I was just super excited. I believe I've it. so many people throughout my life. I you believe know, it. Like, I met so many people that some of them are still my friends to this day. Awesome. I mean, if Damon Wayans sees me, he'd be like giving me a hug. Teacha Cam, all of those guys would be like, Kelly, how's it going? What's going on? Robert Townsend, all of them. And so you build these really good relationships and you have an adventure. Life is about an adventure. It's not has nothing to do with you being famous or rich or anything it's like sometimes you're on the set and it's freaking cold and it's snowing and you're outside and there's no shelter over you right or you're singing kumbaya songs with the extras in the corner you know or you're in a underground parking lot with arnold schwarzenegger and you know there's freaking rats running around you're like oh my god it's red and you know like but at the end of the day you're going to look back over your life and you're going to remember all of these sets you were on, whether they were in the high-class society or in the low-class downtown L.A. with mice and rats around you. All right. There's nothing that you're never going to forget. It's all a beautiful experience. Gotcha. And it's a Absolutely. journey Absolutely. that you can keep, you know, but, the, but then there's that part, right? But guess what? College, university, and whatever trade school is not going to teach you the set you are on you are in your education right here right now take some notes you know learn what is set design learn what is um wardrobe learn what is um consistency um for the set you know when when you're dealing with props and you have to have you know the same drink looks like the same equalness of it or you're smoking a cigarette and every time they light it up, they got to put that out and then light another one when right. they say action again right. so that it's consistent, you know. So you're learning everything that's going on around you. You're learning that how people are doing their lines. You're learning how they're messing up their lines and get fired right. and get replaced by lunchtime. <laughs> so right. you're learning that lines are really important. Absolutely. To know before you get there, there's no other situation because you will get fired and replaced immediately if you don't know your lines you know what i'm saying no i did a youtube video actually talking about basically uh, uh i heard a quote a while ago saying you know every day you're on a film set you're in school and it's kind of speaking to the point you're talking about where you know i did a youtube video just talking about the different things you can learn opportunities you can take advantage of and just be observant and i mean honestly mm-hmm. forget about film school you can just go to be on a film set and learn 
you know, everything you need to learn probably within a day or a week, you know what I mean? And more. And like I said, I've been doing this since I was 20 for 30 years. I have my pension in Screen Actors Guild. <laughs> gotcha. So I have learned an awful lot, and that's why I made my own films. I'm writing a script for my next film, and now I have my own film festival. Gotcha. And that's actually a good segue. Um, we're going to get into um, talking about the film festival. Um, for my listeners, uh, Kelly Jackson, she... Uh, she started the Kang River Film Festival in Louisiana, and I'm, I've been helping her out. I actually found her on Facebook, and uh, we linked up, and I've been helping her out. Did the poster design for her and working on, like, different video submissions and things like that. So we're going to talk about, you know, now the film festival. So, And thank you, Christopher, for all that you do because you're my right hand. Absolutely. So I want everybody to know that you can find somebody, and God will send you people. <laughs> when you. you really need it the most and you have to be open and receptive to you know letting people know your weaknesses right that's really important because i can't i'm not i'm like every woman but i don't know how to do every damn thing right. so when you came in my life there was an empty space you know so i needed help no, so we have it, to be able to be vulnerable to let people know we need help no it was my pleasure absolutely so let me ask you so why do you uh so your your um so you, this is now your third annual film festival, right, that you're um, putting on. So like, what, yes. what was it like putting on the first film festival? Oh, crazy. Yeah. <laughs> um, I love it. I mean, I would probably definitely change some. I'm changing it every year because I'm learning and I'm growing as I go. And right. I've been to plenty of film festivals because... I'm, in, I'm from L.A., I'm from California, mm-hmm. and being a part of the industry, you know, you're going to the private parties, the rap parties, you're going to the film festivals, you know, your friends are making films, et cetera. So I've been a part of a lot of it, but I never thought about creating my own. Well, let me ask you, uh, um, why did you start your, why did you create a film festival? It had, you know, I'm going to take it back to um, going to the International Family Film Festival at Rally Studios, Chris Shoemaker, who's today is one of my judges for this particular 2020 Cambridge Film Festival. He's been my mentor. See, this is 2020. I met him a long time ago when I went to Raleigh and went to his International Family Film Festival. And it was a tight, tight little knit little festival, you know, and had three theaters and a little outdoor patio and they had, you know, dinner and wine and stuff. And my friend H. Um, Slomi Haziza, he made like sculptures and furniture and, you know, painting. And I knew him first. And he was like, oh, you should come to this film festival. You know, I made the awards for them. I'm like, well, for sure. And I'm like, what the world? I'm like, hey, you need to make me, you know, you need to make, I'm going to do a film festival now. You need to make my little awards. You know what I'm saying? Because that's my friend. Right. And then I became friends with Chris, who was the, the founder of it. And they did over like 23 years worth of international. But they had people from China and all over the world up in there. And I was like, man, this is really it, you know? So I had planned. I made a difference with Chris. And so I got, he gave me the contact at Rally. And was like, look, I want to do my film festival here. So we did the whole planogram, planned it out. But then I wind up coming to Louisiana because I came out here to trace my roots and stuff. So So you were going to do a film festival in California first, but then you moved to Louisiana? Yep. Gotcha. That's how it happened. And gotcha. so, I mean, I still have the planogram to this day in my in my um, cupboard of that film festival that I planned for Rally Studio. It was all the way live. Gotcha. But when I came across my, my roots story of my first 
born before America, African-American family, Native American family. I just was like, oh, my God, I have that was my second idea for a film. I was like, I've got to go there and make this movie. So that made me leave everything behind, my job, my family, my home, everything I owned. Like, I left. I didn't know anybody here. I just, I just packed it up. I just had to know. I just had to make the movie. And but when when Chris, you know, we still keep in touch. That's why he's a judge this year. Right. And he's like, Kelly, you're going to be the best of us all, you know, because I was able to learn from the best. That's what you got to do. You got to put yourself around the total best and like, you know, like a mentor and learn from them, become their friends. And um, I just love that we still have a great relationship. So what were some of the challenges that you faced um, putting on that festival and the things that you learned? Money is the <laughs> number one issue. And it's not as difficult, but it's like it comes in spurts, you right. know, and so it's like you got to be ready for that. Like, what is your other plans that you can keep a roof over your head and all your bills paid and, you know, your you know food in the refrigerator right. when you're giving your total percent? To, to, to getting this thing done and you know it cost thousands of dollars you know people are like oh I'll, I'll do the um, sound engineering for three thousand dollars you're right. like no right. you know everybody thinks you're huge and they're coming at you with huge dollar signs and you're like I can't do that so I had to learn how to you know balance out what I could afford and what I really couldn't afford so the first year I came I was busted I had to call my mom and my sister to give me some money to pay the last band off. <laughs> really? But I made it just like this, this skinny skin skin, you know, but but I never wanted to be like anybody. I didn't want it on no rumors around on me that I owed anybody right. anything. Gotcha, you gotcha. know, I paid my debt. Gotcha. Period. That's got to be the number one. Don't, I don't even, I didn't pay myself. I didn't go shopping. Right. I didn't buy me anything. Even in my festivals, like all of them, I didn't even buy me anything to eat. Wow. My friends were eating around me. And I'm like, girl, that looks so good. I can't <laughs> afford that. And it's my festival. Fake, fake it till you make it, right? <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, I might I might take a bite of your chicken wing <laughs> or a piece of your fish. Right. <laughs> but I never let them see me sweat. I didn't make them think that I was so broke that right. I couldn't even afford a plate at my own festival that's but I wasn't going to go ask my vendors for no free food either <laughs> that's what because it takes. I, I brought you here so that you could make money gotcha. I'm not going to ask you for anything for free so I just let it go how it was going you know what I'm saying and I couldn't you know what I couldn't afford anything to eat at my own festival it was the truth oh, and I up. had to call my mom and then after it was over crying like oh my god I paid everybody but I still am short $300 right. so they pulled it together and they helped me and they like so after it was over, people were like, are you going to do this again? Like, are you going to do this to yourself again and be stressed out? And I'm like, yep, I'm going <laughs> to do it again. You know, like, put on your boots, come again. And then my car broke down. So oh, it just, wow. it, it, And then my phone died wow. and, and, and lost all the contacts. And now, guess what? You know, my computer just crashed. Wow. So it was like each year... Something, something else that's very vital keeps crashing on me. Right, right. And so, therefore, it makes you let go. Do you give up? Or do you keep on going in spite of all the obstacles? Even sometimes it feels like the universe is turning against you, so you right, can't do it. Right, Like, your friends is going to leave your butt. 
Your family's probably going to leave you too. The people that's going to wind up helping you are people that you absolutely do not know. Yeah. And the ones you do know are not. And so that hurts your feelings. And the first year, I cried so hard, I was looking like I was in a color purple movie. (laughs) (laughs) Crying. Right. Because I thought my friends were going to be there to help me do this. And they abandoned the situation because I think that jealousy and envy and sabotage plays a big role in the African-American community and what we're not really trying to be there for one another. We say that in word, right. but we do not do that indeed. Not that much. You are, you are the proof of it. Yeah. But, you know, it's all, but look, I just said it. You're somebody I did not know. Right. Let me ask you, uh, so why, why do you think, uh, why do you feel film festivals are still important and necessary? I think it's important because, like I said, I've always, you know, I've been in the background. I've been an extra, an extra special. So being on that level and not a superstar, you realize how much people are counting us out. Mm. How much people are counting out the independent or the student filmmaker and not giving right. them a platform. Right, right. Not giving them a platform to be seen. There's not a lot of them. And some of these festivals are really expensive where I put mine like you can submit for twenty or twenty five dollars. And right. like, you need to make that a hundred dollars. You need to make that a hundred and fifty dollars. Right. I'm like, you know what? No, I don't because I'm just trying to give somebody a platform to be seen. I don't need to make my money off of them. I can get my money off of corporations and stuff. They got money. You know what I'm saying? Was there not platforms in that area? Is that why you started in that area, the King River? Because there wasn't a lot. Yeah, Natchitoches, they, they made, like, the movie Steel Magnolias, Horse Soldiers. Mm-hmm. Um, um, you know, they made some films that are known. But that was, like, 30 years ago. Right. And when I came here, it was only because of my, my historic roots here. And I was going to make a movie, and I was like, you know, this place is one of the oldest settlements in the Louisiana Purchase, so it has very historic significance, and my family has historic significance in this place. So that brought me here. But then I started seeing that, like, Shreveport had Millennium Studios, and then, then you know, like, New Orleans, they got a lot going on over yeah, there, and the right. tax incentive was happening when I first moved here. Right. And my friend, he was a stuntman, he was like, Kelly, you need to move there. Mm-hmm. Because you would be like the big fish in the little pond, right. versus staying in Los Angeles being the, the, what is that, the little fish in the big, whatever, you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Right, right. The fishes in the water, you know, right, one right. is too big, one is too little. That's that thing. But that was the truth because everybody in LA is trying to do the same thing, right. and nobody is noticing you. Right. And that's why I was staying extra for so long because they want to. Why I was getting so frustrated with the industry is what I called it recycling right. actors. Right. Right. Um. You know. They just want to make the same, the same ones the star every damn movie. Denzel Washington, here comes so and so. You know, everybody the same, 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 same. It took a long time for them to start like with Precious. You know that, like around that era, like here comes this big old black girl. Nobody's ever seen her. She came out of the, came out of nowhere to audition and just landed it. Right. 
and they had that um, Slum Dog Millionaire. They right. landed it. You know, like nobody ever heard of these people. Right. Never seen your face. Well, they, no they, stick, to, they stick to what's safe. You know what I mean? Yeah. They, but Hollywood was groomed for that. They're like, you know, if you're going to make a movie, they'll be like, who's the name attached? Right. Automatic. Like, right. who's the name attached? You're like, um, this is a film with no name. Um, that's not going to work. Right, right, right. I definitely <laughs> you know, Because when I started pitching my film, Resurrection Fern, I was talking to Tracy Edmonds, you know, like a lot of people, like they, and then they were interested, but then they wind up cutting me loose and then did that movie with Glendon, Glenn Palmer, I think it was called Jumping the Broom. Mm, right, I know you're talking and about. And I'm like, and it wasn't really all that great, not to say, I love you, Glendon, but, you know, Tracy, but. You should have rolled with me, you know, <laughs> right. but at my time, I was before my time because they're like, Kelly, this is 2010. They're like, there's no period pieces. Nobody wants this in Hollywood. I'm like, I don't care what Hollywood wants. I'm like a Tyler Perry. I don't care what Hollywood wants. It's what I want. Right. What right. I feel there's a need for. And when I decided to do my own period piece, guess what happened after that? What? Here comes Lincoln. Here comes Django. Right, right. Here comes Bell. Here comes boom, boom, boom. And now everybody loves period pieces all of a sudden. I'm like, oh, my God. All I'm it, like, all it takes, genius. All it takes is one to be successful, and then they jump onto it. Yeah, but nobody was hearing me in 2010 about doing a period piece. They're like, uh, excuse me, Hollywood doesn't want any of that. Well, well, it seems like they're finally uh, seeing the advantage of the black dollar. You know what I mean? They're starting to see how much money we spend on films, and it probably it's probably a good idea to start catering to us. You know what I mean? Yeah, but we have a problem. I what I've been finding, Christopher, in our in our film industry, mm-hmm. is that we are too busy tearing one another apart. Mm-hmm. Like Casey Lemons is a friend of mine who just did Harriet. And I was in her home, like those dreadlocks in her hair, I put them in there, like from Atlanta when they no. were doing a film, which I can't remember Is this the actress? that time when they were in Atlanta. Is this the actress? Or? Casey Lemon, she's the director. She did Harriet. That's oh, her movie. Okay. But, yeah, look her up, Casey Lemon's, but you know the movie Harriet just yes, came out. Yeah. Oh, my God. The Facebook is talking mad about it. It's crazy. Crazy. Oh and I God. wanted to chew everybody. And I just stayed oh out of it because God. Casey is a great person. But look, when I was in her house in the Hollywood Hills, which was in North Hollywood, where I used to live, and so I met Casey and Bondi Curtis Hall in Atlanta when I was working in a salon. See what I'm saying? Relationships get built. And they they didn't want to pay the the, the, uh, salon owner to do their hair and to twist anymore. So she said, can you come to our hotel room and twist it? I'm like, sure, yeah. So I thought that's how I got to know her and and Vondi, and then it was like another girl, Vanessa, who went on to pretty big actress. That was her first movie. Gotcha, so gotcha. we, when I moved back to California, I stayed in touch with them, and I went to their house, and we was all cool. But Casey told me in the house, she's like, "I'm gonna start writing now." I'm like, "Oh my god, you know, I'm a part of history." Just having you say that because there's not many black women that are writers. That's crazy. So I. Um, I mean, was that is the best? I think that was Julie Dash. It was one of those. I can't remember what what the movie was. The Casey, Casey's first movie, mm-hmm. but anyway, fast forward, she just did Harriet, 
And then I watched everybody just start cheering for the yes. pieces like a dog to oh the damn God. bone. They were talking about boycotting And the movie I'm like, and... oh, the actress wasn't good enough oh, because man. she came from somewhere else. Yes. Why don't they have American black yes. people doing it? And what is, why did they have the bad guy be the black yes, guy? And, yes, yes. You, you read, you read and the you Facebook comments. And you don't see yeah. white people doing that in their movies. Oh, it's terrible. Why is Superman, does Superman come from England? <laughs> you just never see white people tearing oh, white cra- people apart crazy. in a movie. And where did they come from? Was he white enough? It was he crazy. Did he have an accent good enough? They don't do that to themselves. Well, we do that. Well, fortunate enough, the movie has made some a decent amount of money. So that that's a good thing. I don't know who the the majority audience was, but. Yeah, they are. Oh my God! I don't either. I follow. But that's that's what hurts us for making movies right. because we can't get well, past the critique. Well, I don't know if you know that. Did you see the last question I posted in the in the Facebook groups? So the question, yeah, do we have to celebrate? Should we like be yeah, a part so of? Yeah. So the question uh, is: Are we ob- are we obligated to support all black films, even though we know some aren't good? And I'm telling the resounding, you know, vote is no. And, you know, and then some people are kind of rebutting like you know why not why aren't we we, we support terrible white you know white movies why aren't we support you know what i mean why aren't we supporting the black ones you know and i can definitely see both sides you know what i mean because i'm a i'm a movie snob you know if something's not good I'm, mm-hmm. I'm like out of it but at the same time if we aren't backing these movies if we aren't supporting them then we can't continue to make them you know what i mean because we need no support. support black films i don't give a damn what the damn thing is about <laughs> right, period right, right, right. <laughs> because it's a b movie look at like um Sweetback, you know or whatever yeah. dolomite right, dolomite right. the original is like classic right, and right. it was a piece of crap you know <laughs> yeah. what i'm saying and they backed it you they see the boom mic in every Absolutely. shot practically yeah, yeah. he can't fight yeah it's just this is so shitty. It's such a shitty movie. Yeah. But it's classic. Absolutely. And now today it's a serious classic. You gotcha. know what I'm saying? Yeah, definitely. But definitely. that's what we don't do. We never question white films. We just go and see them, whether they're A, B, C, or D movie. We right. just are there with it. We're not asking who the the director is or right. who the actors, where they come from or were they light-skinned enough or, so you know you, what I'm why saying? Do you, why do you think we're like that? Why do you think that is? We're brainwashed. We've been conditioned to the American society. You know, being a captured people, I think that after a while from slavery and segregation and desegregation, trying to be a part of, you know, the culture of this experiment called America. Right. Because we... From being conditioned, we became the conditioner. <laughs> oh wow! You know, it's like it's like being like, um, I don't, I don't know how to explain how our minds have changed. From we don't even recall anything about our transition from Africa anymore. You know, like we don't even consider ourselves to even be African. Right. Like we have really dismissed ourselves from our roots. Right. And that's why I came here to Louisiana because I found my roots and that made me like really start getting into the history of America and back to the trail, trail of tears to the, to the middle passage and, you know, seeing how it all went down, you know what I mean? I had to go back to every kind of movie that was made right. for black people, like all the way from Mandingo and, right, you know, right, like right. 
I watched them all. I watched them, everything that could be on the radar, I watched them all. And some of them, like Mandingo, made me cry. Like, how could you even get away with a movie like that? Right, right, You wouldn't be able to today. That was crazy. It's like some of people, some of us are ashamed of even being black. And I'm not sure if it's even being ashamed. I think it's just conditioning. Like, I remember when I was living next door to a young lady, and um, that was in one of my, my first film called The Ride. And, uh... She was from Egypt, but she was going to Howard, mm-hmm. and she she had this book, and it was called the Manchurian or Manichian, something like that, theory. Mm-hmm. And it was like everything that was black and white, it was like a professor was trying to do a study is talking about whatever happened to the African-American people psychologically from slavery and segregation and desegregation, what he tried to do a study about it because nobody has ever tried to study what happened to us in this, in our mental state. Right. What has happened to us as a people, right. as a group, as a people. But he did. He called the Manchurian theory. Right. And in that theory, they have put the theory in the film. Whatever is black is bad. Right. Whatever is white is good, okay? Right. And so, therefore, Luke Skywalker, he's the good guy wearing white, and Darth Vader is the black bad dark, guy, the, and the he's wearing side. black. Yeah. You know, and it's always, and if you notice, and that's what I started saying to my friends on the set, and they're like, oh, Kelly, you're tripping. It's just a movie. It's just entertainment. And this is what I will tell them, like, where is he? Where is he? And they're like, where's the white guy that's going to save the world and to make a bomb out of a paper bag? And, you know, he knows right. everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. okay, here he comes right in the first scene, right? Yeah, yeah. The first scene. Here he comes, yeah. all polished, wearing something very light or white. Right, right. And right. he's white. Then here comes the next one. I go, where is she? Where is she? And they go, like, who is she? She's a white woman that has a lip gloss and she's perfectly perfect. And, you know, everybody's going to die to save her for him in the end of the movie. And they're going to kiss and laugh and hug. And the movie is over. Where is she at? Right. And my friends always thought I was tripping with this until I said, I will I will make a bet with you. I will watch six movies in a day and I'm going to have that same treatment. Mm-hmm. It's a treatment. It's a cookie cutter program treatment in, mm-hmm. the, in American society for films. They will always make us be dark, some foreigner, somebody wearing black. They're going to be bad guys, period. And that's why we're messed up in society today. No, I don't think you know? people realize just how much those unconscious biases affect affect you, actually. And they don't, because they're in the disguise of it's just entertainment. No, it's not. It's being programmed. And even it's worse, and even something. worse is the uh, like your your six o'clock news and how much that affects it. You know what I mean? To the point now where you look at a group of people like they're not of value. You know what I mean? And yeah, you don't see Black Lives Matter anymore, do you? Have you noticed that? You don't see nobody rocking nothing. Black Lives Matter. There was a whole big movement when the police were killing us, and then all of a sudden, when Trump came along. He shut it down, you know, and like right. nobody even like I don't even know what happened to those people anymore. Like where did <laughs> they go? Right. Well, now they're I mean, there's no more Black Lives Matter. They're, now they're making movies and stuff. Uh, Lena Waithe just made a movie. There was the one that uh, with what's the Tyree Gibson that a movie just came out about the uh, cop who witnessed the um, witnessed the shooting of somebody, and then they tried to come out to her because it was caught on body cam. What's the name of that movie? It just came out. And then I have a friend up north. He just came out with a TV show. I think it's on. BET or one of those that it was like cop watch or something like that. 
Mm-hmm. And he just came out with that with my Oakland friends. Yeah, so it's starting to so, lead like, into like regular uh, to to cinema now. Maybe the they, movement is getting ready to be go back to Africa. Like really, it's getting uh-huh. ready to be the new movement. Like what Marcus Garvey was trying to tell the people oh, a long yeah. time ago. Yeah, for sure. Um, sure. and I and I have a friend. I'm building bridges to Africa right now with with my king friend Ohinaba. I'll be in, you know, Nim over there mm-hmm. in Ghana. And I'm I'm ready to, they're making a way for me to go over there so that I can film and, you know, trace my roots and stuff. I would love to That's going to be the next situation with with us as a people. We're going to start, like, going back to Africa and starting to feel like, where did we come from? What is my name? This is not my name. Right. This is not my place. This is not my culture. This is not my heritage. And because we've been so ingrained in the society right. that we were like grabbing onto it so hard. Like we cannot let go of America, but when we see America still killing us, that there, it's like each generation keeps on getting revisited with like um, terror. Well, and it's I, too sad. I, you I, know heard what somewhere, I heard somewhere someone said if black people knew where they came from, they wouldn't be in the situation they, they are now because... Once you make that connection and get that knowledge of who we really are, we'll think people have realized that we pretty much created everything. You know what I mean? We are the original civilization, and that's who everyone stole from. You know what I mean? Yeah, and but when you when, when you put on somebody else's identity, what happens to you? You lose your identity. You become a lost. You you know you almost become a lost person. And now that you know you want to be found, then you're ostracized. Mm-hmm. Also within this place, so I feel like the only place for me to go is maybe to go back and visit, you know, or even go to live, or you know, have a home over there. Also, like we can be bicoastal, we can live, we can have a place over there and still live in the United States and still keep our citizenship. I'm not saying give up your citizenship, but I'm saying like let's stop. Like I even had a friend today you know with the Kanye West problem going on uh, right? and I'm like why is this becoming so difficult that we're tearing each other apart over a person that we will probably never meet he'll probably never do a damn thing for our lives but yet we are we are dissolving friendships and family relationships over did he really come to Christ or not I uh, don't care <laughs> right. you know I am not God, and I'm not the one to say if he is a saved person or not, you know, and the people can sing about Christ all they want to, but that doesn't mean that they're with him, and all along still rocking a MAGA hat, which I am not with at all, (laughs) so you see what I mean, like, I'm like, they're not one and the same, they are one and the same, so if you accept that part about them, then you have to accept the other part about them, you can't separate the two, so that's our problem right now in America, we want to be over there like, yay, we're praising this guy and we're doing this for him. But no, I'm not with Trump and I'm not with MAGA. Oh, no, if you're over there with that guy, you're with MAGA too. Because that's what he's pushing you towards. We can't find our line. We don't seem to have any more values or morals. And so that's why I keep spilling over into our our film. Right. You know, that's why we can't support one another just making a film. No, because tough. we just want to find a place that we can start tearing it apart for no reason. Right. No, it's definitely tough. No reason def- at all. It was like, tough. this is a part of slavery. This is a part of segregation. 
um, desegregating and then trying to conform into a society after we were desegregated so that we could belong. We've always been looking to belong, to, to you know, conform with everyone, that they will be acceptance of us because we were slaves, because we were not considered a citizen, because we were not considered even a complete human being. You know, when you look at eugenics and stuff and they were sterilizing us. So people need to really learn their history of America. And then that way we can start making more beautiful movies because we, we have education, we have understanding, we have the knowledge behind us instead of going in this la-la land and making up stuff. Like, get to the real root. Get to some of these, get to some of these real stories, like, you know, Watchman is trying, but I don't, you know, it's all right. But I like how they started the first one when they came at the Tulsa, you know, the, the um, Black Wall Street. They came at it real hard in the first scene, you know. Mm -hmm. Nobody has even tried to do that. And people are like, oh, my God, I didn't even know that happened. That's what I'm talking about. Which, which movie was, and which movie was this? It's a um, TV show on, on HBO. I think it's called, it's called Watchmen. Okay. Yeah, and, yeah. and they were going back with the Tulsa riots, which was the Black Wall Street. Yes, yeah, I know about. I know about and Black Wall Street. And then other people were, yeah, and they're like, I didn't even know that happened. I'm like, oh my god, it happened in almost there like is, every city in the entire country. <laughs> all the time, you can yes. go to the whole 19th century and riot, 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 yep. riot, riot yep. all over the place, and Absolutely. they're just burning our towns down, Absolutely. kicking you out of your house. Happened in Miami. And then they take over your land. Yep. And then they make it so you're so afraid that you don't ever even come back. Yep. To this day, yep. these people deserve their land back, period. They own that land. And so who gives them the right to take it away from them because you just burned them and shot them and, and kicked them out? We don't own it. That's not legal. But see, that's what happened. And if we don't have that kind of education about America and, and, and know the truth, this is why we can't make good movies. <laughs> So yeah. we're making, what are we making movies about if it's not our truth? Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, we can make fictional and all kinds of stuff, but we really need to get with it. We need to start making some powerful movies and stop all this joking and characterizing, putting men in dresses and all this other type of stuff. Like, get with the real program and start, like, because it's about television. Tell your vision. <laughs> Start seeing some real stuff and, 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 and allowing, that's why I created the film festival because I wanted to have a platform and people are like, wow, Kelly, that movie that you showed, that was, I couldn't even look at it. You know, like I was just closing my eyes. I'm like, well, you know, child abuse is real. Mm -hmm. And I allowed that film to come in here and it was very challenging because I was like, man, this is a game changer because I know this is a small town and it's mostly white and they're not going to really accept this black film about child abuse. You right. know what I'm saying? But it affects everybody. And it's going to categorize my whole film festival. But am I going to be an open person and allow other voices to be heard and seen? Right. Or am I going to close it out and say it has to be a certain kind of film to be a part of this festival? You know, I'm not judging them. I watch them all, but I have five judges that I select in my network of friends that are very producing and been in the industry for a long time to let them judge it. 
Have you seen and the, they're all um, different races and ages and all of that? Have you seen the latest the submissions that came through? Have you seen them? I've seen some of them, and um, I'm enjoying them. And you know, I, I I communicate with these people and say, "Hey, join my Facebook." And like we got Zach on there, and he's always checking like this on Facebook, you know. And he's super excited about coming to the festival. But what I've noticed is that the first year, like I said, it's only the third one. They keep coming back. Yeah. They flew in from Chicago. They came from California. That's awesome. They drove from Atlanta, Texas. This ain't no just like all over Louisiana. They're coming now. They're going to come from, you know, Africa. They're going to come from Brazil. We got, um, you know, Logos University. We got the Hype Magazine coming from New Orleans. So it's like it's starting to really click in, and people are understanding that this is a this is what I call my little. I made the saying up. It's a network, not a not work. (laughs) (laughs) You know, if it ain't working, it ain't. It's not a network. It's not a not work. That's awesome. Well, let me, uh, uh, can you give any advice? Uh, do you have any advice for any, uh, for filmmakers trying to, you know, get into the industry and, you know, do what you do or just, you know, become successful? Absolutely. Be a nice person. (laughs) Right. I am learning that so much because, I'm I'm learning each year and, and, and everything from beginning to today. And I'm a very emotional person. Mm-hmm. And I'm learning how to not be so emotionally attached to the situation because people will let you down. People will hurt your feelings. People will get in your face. People will say some things that make you want to raise up against them. You know All what right. I mean? Like even my friend, he said to me this just last year because a lot of people didn't do their part, you know, and it's over. Like once the event is over, it's over. So right. whatever you didn't do right, you messed it up and it's over with. Yeah, you can't go back and, and he's redo like, it. Why? Yeah, he's like, why you didn't cut them out? Why you didn't cut them out? You know, I said, first of all, I'm a black woman <laughs> and people expect it right, from right, me right. because they want the angry black woman to just sprout up, like charging everybody with it. Right. And I said, I learned that from the first year because I charged somebody up and I told them that they lied to me. Why you lied to me about this and that and the other? Until the mayor called me up like, did you cuss out so-and-so? And I was like, what? Really? Wow. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I didn't cuss anybody out, but I did call her a lie. And she <laughs> lied about this, that, and the other, you know? Right. But I learned right then and there, Christopher. See, just me cuss- me not cussing somebody out, but me just charging her. Like, why you messed up my festival because you didn't follow up with what you were supposed your part. You didn't follow up what you were supposed to do, right? Right. So it messed me up. It messed my money up. It messed my event up. And I was just talking to her personally, just me and her. And we had been coordinating the event for the whole time. She was just so weak. She started crying, I guess, days later and went and told the mayor, wow. okay, who is white. And then he wind up, he calls me on the cell phone, like, did you cuss out so-and-so? And And I was like, (laughs) he didn't say thank you for what you did in our community. He didn't say thank you for all the free advertising. He just worried about her. Right, right, right. Period. End of the story. So I learned right then and there, you know what? Save it. Uh Just save it, Kelly. Uh And so this year when stuff jacked me up, my friend said, why did you cuss? That's why everybody's doing you like that. Because you ain't checking them. You ain't cussing <laughs> people out like that. Yeah. 
I'm like, I don't need the mayor calling me again. I don't need nobody else calling me again because I went, in their mind, angry black woman. Right. You know? No. Because what that, what that leads to is called mess up my reputation. Mm-hmm. So that way I can't get other sponsors. Right. You know, which is my money to do what I'm doing. Gotcha. And that's, you know, your reputation is everything. So save the drama for your mama. <laughs> and <laughs> I do that. And I literally actually call my mama and she told me to shut the hell up too. <laughs> Absolutely. And she said, look, and I'll give, this will be my mama's word advice for everybody that mama gave me. Gotcha. First of all, shut the hell up. And number two, if anybody does anything for you, just be grateful. Absolutely. Whether they did something very big or very small, if they carried a table or a chair, just be grateful. Be thankful. Absolutely. Don't get upset because everybody didn't do everything that you wanted them to do. Right. They just showed up to help you. However way it went down, you know, just accept it. Moveon.com is her little special saying today. She's like, moveon.com. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like, you know what, Mom? You're right. You know, I'm sorry because... I got all upset because I got in my feelings because of, I felt like people were sabotaging me and I'm emotional and I didn't really know how to be a boss. Mm. You know, I know how to be a worker right, right, and be right. on the set mm-hmm. and, and make a movie and do all this other stuff. But to do a film festival, you have all these different entities and you're dealing with corporations like Clico and Enterprise and, you know, et cetera. You're dealing with mayors and lieutenant governors and senators and you've got you know, small businesses, and you got students from the university, you got so many different people around you that they have to take the leadership from you. You know, this is your event. <laughs> All right. That's what we have to get to the point of. So I enjoyed, you know, letting everybody know a little bit more about myself and the industry, and I hope they learned something today. No, definitely. I, I really appreciate it. You definitely shared a lot of information for the listeners. And uh, so let, uh, tell us what you uh, what you got coming up next. What are you working on now? Well, I've got my writer, Eunice Smith, with the Smith Writing Lab. She's coming here from Chicago for this year, and she's working with me on Resurrection Fern, The Life and Times of Marie Therese Concon. And uh, my friend Bob Moore Jr., who has two Emmys from producing Amazing Race and America's Next Top Model, and just recently had a Netflix series called Death by Magic. And he's my producer, he's going to get me the funding for this film once we complete the script. So when he came to the first film festival, I took him around to the Melrose Plantation, the St. Augustine Catholic Church, and he's like, look get the script. You've been here long enough and I'm going to get you the funding for this movie. So not only am I doing the film festival, we're working on the script for my feature film and, you know, I've got books and I'm, I'm also an artist. So I'm illustrating actually my second book right now. So I've got 16 paintings in the cupboard and I'm working, you know, on all of them at the same time on the second book. So um, and my work is in the Melrose and Oakland Plantation with the National Park. So, you know, I try and utilize all the talents that God has given me to, like, you have to be a hustler. You have to realize that maybe you can't have a job because you need to have your free time to do what you've got to do. Right. And you need day and night. So I don't work for anybody else, but that's why I hustle. And I'm, like, painting 
and, you know, rioting and, you know, sometimes I've cleaned buildings or homes or whatever the hell, you know, just so that you stay free. Absolutely. So, so you can, you know, dedicate all your, all your time to, to making the dream happen and building relationships across the globe. Please, everyone, do not think small or small-mindedness. It is not just your town. It is not just your state. Not just the United States. There's a whole entire globe. Right. Please look out for that. It's the WWW today. You have a fingertip away from meeting people all over the world. So stop playing with that and start reaching out and building a better network of, of friends and um, alliances. And that's tripping a lot of people out. Like me bringing my friend here from, he's coming from Africa. And people are like, oh my God, be careful. Oh my God, this and that. I'm like, okay. <laughs> That's the whole white world. Why are you so afraid? I'm not building walls. I'm building bridges. There's the difference between me and you. I'm not trying to keep everybody out of America. I'm trying to bring them over here, and I'm trying to go over there. I'm trying to let you know that we're all human beings, and we all have different cultures and experiences, but we need to learn how to share those and share our wealth and share our, um, our resources together. And help one another. Oh, definitely, definitely. Well, I uh, I really appreciate you uh, sharing all that with us. And, Thank you. Uh, well, I'm gonna give one shout out. Look, okay, you gotta say if I'm on the air. Um, the, the Louisiana Economic Development. Thank you, Chris Kelly, and I want to say for Cane River Cherokees and Lieutenant Governor Billy Munsinger from Louisiana Future Soul. Thank you so much for being my top um, exclusive mainstay sponsors. And I really couldn't do it without their help. And, of course, um, your wonderful business and the black filmmaker guy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just being a part of this, like, you're a top sponsor. And, like, that's what it's really all about. It's all of us coming together. Excellent. It's not me making the event. It's all of you guys that. Excellent. Like, I'm just a vessel, you know, like you guys are the ones that's making this event. That's excellent. That's the real deal. So um, just give us your, uh, give all your like social media and your, how can uh, people contact you? Well, we have wonderful website that Chris just put together, mm-hmm. um, which is com, And we're on Twitter and LinkedIn and Instagram and Facebook. And I have my Kelly Jackson page on Facebook and the Cambridge Film Festival on Facebook. And that's, you know, they can reach us that way. And come on down to Natchitoches, Louisiana, on March 20 and 21, 2020. And we'll be at the university with um, Northwestern State University. We'll be at the Cambridge Brewery, the landing, and we're going to boat cruise on the Cambridge Queen. So it's, it's like, Two days and four locations full of a lot of fun, but the most important is going to be full of a lot of great people coming from different places and different backgrounds, and we're all a part of the industry, and we have total, total love for it. Like, I picked my people. This, this is free and open to the public, but for real, I really invite everybody. <laughs> And I invite people that I know are like-minded. And as soon as they get here, they fall in love with each other. And they are now on each other's social medias. And I see it because they're all my friends. They're checking like this and making communication. So this is more about building relationships than it is just having a platform or, you know, or just going to an event. 
these people are building lifetime relationships. Absolutely. They're going to start getting some business taken care of in the future. Absolutely. And we can get knowledge and, and expertise from one another. That, Christopher, is why I built this film festival. Awesome. All right. Well, Kelly Jackson, I really appreciate it for being uh, the first guest on the Black Filmmaking Guy podcast. And uh, I really appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate being on it. All right. And I uh, can't wait to share it with the world. All right. <laughs> all right. You have a good one. You too. Love you, Christopher. Thank you for all your support and all your help and expertise. All right. My pleasure. All righty. That was Kelly Jackson uh, with the Cane River Film Festival. She um, basically um, founded it herself, put it on herself. She's in her third year now and uh she's doing really well um you can check it out i'm actually working with her um, to getting some stuff done i'm um actually i've i'm working on redesigning her website um i did the film festival poster for her and doing some other things um, she's having some technical issues right now but i'm uh helping her out um, i found her on facebook and uh she reached out and uh she really uh she turned out to be a really awesome person um i had no idea that she was so connected in the industry but you know my ultimate goal was just try to find a way to help out uh, and that's kind of the goal and what she was talking about and kind of what you know my mantra is is just you want to find a way to be of value to people um, i think a lot of people forget that so many people are so interested and so concerned about they're so concerned about their needs and what, you know, they want. They're constantly, you know, even if it's just, hey, look at my film, me, 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 me. And it's, 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 not, it's not about that at all. You know what I mean? Uh, you want to find a way of, you know, just helping people out, being of value to people. Uh, I think you can get so much further that way um, in just helping people. And, and in the industry, there's so many moving parts that there's many ways to help people. And um, I encourage people to reach out and find ways to, you know, to be of value to someone, whether it's teaching them, giving them advice, connecting them with other people, giving them resources, little tips. I mean, anything you can do to be of value to people. And then, you know, once you get to a certain level, then you can offer what you can, you know, help out with, whether it's your talent, your writing and different things like that. So, you know, that was Kelly Jackson uh, with the Cane River Film Festival. And uh, this is Christopher, you know, with the Black Filmmaker Guy. And my uh, quote, I'm going to kind of hopefully start, you know, and use this throughout the rest of the podcast. I ran into this kid where I work and um, he, he was into the me- really into music. And I, and I was just, you know, curious to see where his mind was. And I, so I asked him, I said, um. So, you know, how do you get into the music industry? And he told me something that, you know, hopefully will be now the quote for this podcast. Um, I asked him, so how do you get into the music industry? And he said, you don't get into the music industry. You know, you become the music industry. And that is so true. And I, when I heard that, I was just blown away. And the same exact thing is absolutely true for the film industry as well. You know, you don't you now with the available technology, with social media, with uh, production costs going down, everything, you know, you don't get into the film industry anymore. You become the film industry um, because all the resources 
to do that are at our disposal you know Google YouTube everything so the opportunities are there and that's gonna be my mantra my quote from now on you know you don't get into the movie industry you become the movie industry so this is um Chris with the you know my very first um, podcast I'm gonna be signing out and uh, so this is Chris with the Black Filmmaker Guide podcast and I will check you guys out later